And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. It is another installment of the J.C. and Morgan College Football Podcast, although we have been uh, branching out a little bit of, of everything here in this offseason, including some great guests. And today we have one of my favorites. Um, I have uh, I've gotten to know Brad over the years, just calling games, going back to when I was doing them on radio and running into him at uh, uh, various football and basketball arenas throughout the SEC uh, for a while there every year at the SEC basketball tournament and uh, and several games uh, across uh, SEC venues. Uh, to me, he is one of the best in the business and has been for a long time. I've said that. I don't say that about everybody, believe it or not. I respect everybody, but uh, I've always said that if I were to model uh, play-by-play style after one or two guys, this would be the one or two guys. He is Brad Nessler. You know him. You love him. And he's uh, joining us from his lovely pad near the lake north of Atlanta. So you're about, uh, what, 25, 30 minutes, I guess, of, uh, north of me. I'm in Brookhaven, so we're not too far away. Oh, yeah, not at all. I, I, I spent a lot of time in Brookhaven. And Mike, first of all, it's really good to see you, man. We same here. Catch up more often. Um, yes, I was just down in Brookhaven uh, for Easter, just to see some friends of mine. And so, yeah, I'm about 25 minutes away from you. So that's uh, the, the meeting point. I just come to Brookhaven. There's more stuff to do there than there is in Duluth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, well, we'll offer a trade off. We'll do an Airbnb uh, trade off or something. Um, there, there's so many different places to start. And before we get into kind of the 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 nitty gritty of what it was like and what it has been like broadcasting during COVID. Uh, your time at, at ESPN and CBS, which is what most people know you from. I'm going to go back a little ways. And, and the only reason I knew about your background at Georgia Tech, because I was watching a basketball game. This must have been like 10 years ago. And you were doing the game back on ESPN and they honored you before the game. And I was like, why are they, I mean, I get it. Like he's Brad Nesser, but why is Georgia tech specifically honoring Brad? I didn't realize you go back to Geraldo, Al Geraldo in the great uh, Georgia tech days, I guess in the early eighties. Right. You, you, how does a guy from Minnesota, for those that don't know, Brad originally from Minnesota wind up calling Georgia tech. You did some Braves work uh, back in the eighties. How did that whole thing happen? Uh, you know, I, when we moved down here in 80, uh, Mike, I was at WGST and they had the rights to Georgia Tech, all of Georgia Tech sports. Um, and as soon as I got here, I got involved with the basketball situation. And at that time, Al Seraldo, who's you know a legend and already was at that point, uh, he was pretty entrenched as a play-by-play guy. But I guess just to make me happy, I think uh, when I took the job, uh, we kind of split duties. I would do I would do color for a half, and and Al would do play by play, and then vice versa. And he always did the second half, so he could have the fun part at the end of the games. But they weren't so fun at the beginning. Uh, those first couple years uh, before Bobby Kremen showed up, uh, it was weird because we didn't even have to have headphones on. We we just had a microphone in front of us because Al and I could hear each other because there might be. 150 people in the stands at Alexander Memorial Coliseum and half of them were wearing bags over their heads. So um, it wasn't as fun as it sounded until Kremens got there. And then, uh, you know, uh, Mark Price and John Sally and Bruce Dalrymple and uh, Dwayne Farrell and uh, that whole group got together, you know, and, and then they became really good. And it became the, the place to be really Georgia Tech basketball was 
was huge at that time. And uh, it was a fun time, you know, in the eighties. And so I guess one of those years, one of the years they won the ACC championship, I think is they had a bunch of us back to honor us and, and they gave us watches before the game or whatever. So yeah, I was doing the game and that was, that was kind of neat because I didn't know it was exactly coming. And all of a sudden at halftime or before the game, they pulled me out of my chair and said, you know, you got to come out on the court real quick. So yeah, that, uh, that is awesome. And so you took the job though. You, you go from Minnesota GST, a, a news talk station here in Atlanta. Right. What, what was the, what was promised to you as part of the job in the sports department? Uh, afternoon drive at a nighttime talk show, which I totally hated. I couldn't, <laughs> it didn't have anybody to bounce it off of, you know, now they've right. got either duos or maybe three people doing talk shows together. So you have something to bounce off of people. And at that time, um, you know, it was way back. This is, this is really going to age me, but back at the time, uh, when you follow baseball games or gave scores out at night from 10 to midnight, you were doing it with a ticker. And basically, for those of you that don't know what it is, you have to Google it. Uh, basically, <laughs> a long piece of yellow paper comes out and it says bottom of the second, so-and-so got a hit, run scores. And you actually had to keep score and go down, you know, through the National League and the American League and keep track of all the scores by every half an inning. So you were doing periodic score updates or constant score updates, I should say. And then you were taking calls from uh, listeners and you were talking about different topics. And and when you move from somewhere else and you move to the South, uh, you better have your big boy pants on because they gave me about a one week grace period being a Yankee. And I immediately after that one week grace period became a damn Yankee and they wanted to send me home <laughs> because I didn't know enough stuff about, uh, you know, Georgia and Clemson and, and, and South Carolina and Georgia tech and everything. And I remember one time uh, a guy called and said, uh, Brian, Brian said, you know, we, we welcome you down here. I'm going to tell you something, son. He said, when you're talking about the Tigers over there, he said, put a P in there, son. It's Clemson. It's Clemson. It's not Clemson. It's Clemson. And so I never forgot that. I, don't, I probably still mispronounce it. But uh, anyway, just things like that, you know, I had to go through. And the learning curve was uh, very large and the learning time was very short and that was, uh, I mean, I had to do some serious cramming. The good thing that happened probably in that stretch is the first year I'm here, uh, Georgia wins a national championship. Um, Herschel's a sensation. The Falcons go 12 and four, got beat by Dallas and shouldn't have. I mean, it wasn't a year. Um, and, and then Georgia Tech got better a couple of years later. So that first couple of years, you know, and then shortly after that, the Braves got good. So, um, you know, all in all, not a lot of championships in there and that type of thing, but at least the sports was, uh, was good to talk about. Yeah. We, yeah. we still have national announcers that say Clemson with a Z. Yeah. The, 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 the P thing is real. I grew up in South Carolina and that that's real. That's a real deal. If you say Clemson, they, they don't, they don't like that. Yeah. I still hear it now. I still hear it now. And I cringe the right. guys that are saying, because I'm thinking in the social media world, Twitter's blowing up and the, and the people in Clemson are saying, this guy's an idiot, you know, <laughs> this girl's an idiot, whoever's doing the game. Just, just so, as long as I worry you about him. Just as long as you, you didn't say Jordan Hare Stadium. When oh, you no, did the first no, Auburn never game. did that. Never did. Yeah, yeah that's, no. that's a no-no. That, that is uh, <laughs> definitely a no-no. Now, did you dabble some in, in some Braves stuff as well at that time? A, a little bit. You know, we had like coaches shows and that type of thing. Okay. Manager shows. I did Joe's show, Tory's show um, and that type of thing. I got asked to be part of not necessarily the Braves play-by-play group, but in that group. And I, I turned it down because I had some other things that were coming up, including the Falcons. And 
I didn't want to do too many things, have too many sticks in the fire. So um, anyway, I stayed away from that for the most part. And how many years did you do the Falcons? I think I did the Falcons for either five or six. Um, my first year was 82 and the league goes on strike. And right. I was like, this is perfect. <laughs> um, I think I got the job when I was 25 and I thought this is great. You know, and I called my parents and said, Hey dad, I'm the new, fo- the voice of the Falcons. And he, he's like, kind of like, so what, you know? And, uh, right. and then they went on strike and then he got into it a little bit, but I don't think he ever got excited until I was done with the Falcons and I took the Vikings job. Then it was a big deal because yeah. obviously he was a big Vikings guy. So once I got the Vikings radio job, then I was a big thing in my dad's eyes. But when I was a Falcons, Falcons play-by-play <laughs> guys, eh, he's young. He'll do something else. You know? now, now, during all this time, Larry Munson is a god in yep. Georgia. Yeah. So uh, what, did you have a relationship with Larry? What, what, uh, what, what kind of interactions did you have with Larry? We did. And, uh, we became really good friends and, and, uh, in years, as years went by, uh, we would have some roasts for Larry and that type of thing. And I, I'd, I'd MC him and I'd start doing months and, and all that kind of stuff. But, um, there was a time when I went from WGST to WSB that we were both there and I was doing the Falcons and Larry was doing Georgia. And so we spent a lot of time together at the studios, white columns, and we'd spend some time together, away from everything, you know, having a cigar and that type of thing. And then we worked one game together, a Sun Bowl one time in El Paso. And uh, that was the first Sun Bowl I ever worked in was on radio. And I've since done, I don't know, six of them on TV, I think, or something like that. <laughs> but that was a hoot to be in El Paso with Larry. And uh, I was I was basically doing color or whatever, um, I, I, kind of an in-between thing like Neil Williamson does, I guess. But Larry was the show. You know, I was I was just there. I was just the beauty element of everything. <laughs> I don't but, know. <laughs> and, and you know, what's great about that is that, uh, you know, I, like I said, I mean, Larry Munson is a God, not just with Georgia fans. I think uh, college football fans in general had an appreciation yep. for his style. Uh, his style would be, I think, polar opposite of your style, but they both work. Right. I mean, you don't, uh, that's what I tell young announcers when I'm talking to a, a college uh, broadcasting uh, group of students don't try to mimic somebody you think you should sound like be yourself, have your own style. Well, when, you know, having worked with both Alan and, and Larry, um, when I first got here, I, I remember telling my wife, um, uh, you know, I thought, you know, when Larry was doing the sugars falling from the sky and the whole thing. Um, but when he'd say, you know, oh, they're against us and they, they got two guys up in the front and, and they, they, and we, we, and, and, you know, I'm going to my wife and go, how's this guy getting away with this? <laughs> and then Al did the same thing for Georgia tech. And it was all we, 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 and you and I got taught, you don't do we, you know, right. they or whatever, but you don't do we and us and all that kind of stuff. And so I was just, I was like, this has gone against everything that I've either taught myself or I've been taught or I've been told whatever. And I was just amazed. And then when I got used to it in both cases, both uh, Larry and Al, I got into it and I thought, you know what? I'm never going to be like that, but I can sure sit back and appreciate it like a normal fan. And that's why those guys, there just aren't those guys anymore. I mean, there's guys that have done it a long time and are really, really good at it. Like you were at South Carolina and still are. Um, Thank you. But you know, the, the radio guys that are around forever, very few of them use the we and us. Some do and just go the hell with it. I don't care. And then, but others, you know, just kind of treat it like they're going to play it even. And they're really good too. But 
it would have been fun almost to be, I guess, in that era and just say, I don't give a crap. I'm going right. to we and us. It would be right. fun. I always thought, I always thought uh, whether, you know, I was calling a game at, at Carolina or uh, the Braves or wherever I've, I've landed over the years, you can be a homer and, and everybody will know who you're pulling for by the inflection of your voice, uh, by the passion in your call. But I always was a little bit hesitant to use we and us because I felt it almost sounded like you were taken away from the actual people that are performing. Right. Like you, there, you didn't do anything to contribute to the win. And you know how it is. Like when the home team wins and you're the home announcer, people come up, Oh, great job, Brad. Great job, Mike. Um, and it, you, you certainly appreciate it, but deep down, you know, you didn't really do anything to help the team win. Those guys did it. So I, we and us always made me feel a little bit uncomfortable because of that. It wasn't about, being worried about being labeled a homer or anything like that. It was we and us implies that I actually did something on the field or on the court. And as you know, we don't do anything to contribute to that. Right. At least in radio, at least back when everything was kind of, uh, you know, you could actually wear your, your earbuds or whatever in, in an arena or in a stadium and you did a game and people were actually listening to you when you saw them outside the arena or the stadium. And they said, awesome call on the game you could say thank you because they might have heard it but when i walk outside tiger stadium at lsu just beat the heck out of somebody and i'm walking to our bus and somebody goes brad great call and i go you didn't hear a damn word i said (laughs) you were at the game so i'm not sure what i did right but you can go home and watch it because you probably dvd'd it and then you can and you can call me and say, I was awesome. Right, but, right. Uh, I get a kick out of those guys. Well, you, you got you got to take those compliments because, you know, especially when you're doing network TV, if you screw something up, oh. people are going to let you know about it now Absolutely. more than ever. Yeah. And, and you can't hide from your mistakes because they're immediately on YouTube and whatever other social media platform. And, and there are some people that truly get a kick out of seeing <laughs> the highest of the high announcers have mistakes. Well, you know, I work with a guy that gets more scrutiny than anybody in the world on social media, Gary Danielson. So yeah. I stay away from it. Um, I have a Twitter account. I have no idea how to get in it. I don't how, I don't have any idea how to add to it. If something goes up, you know, my daughter, Reese, if, yes. if something's on there, it's something my daughter put on there because I don't even know how to do it. <laughs> so I'm as about as far away from Twitter as you can get. Now, you know, Gary, I mean, he goes back and you don't really have to get into a Twitter account or whatever. When a game's over, it doesn't take long for somebody just to rip into him or me or both or both those guys are old and stupid, you know. So it's the most scrutinized. I really think the SEC, and and it's not just because that's what I do, I don't think there's anything out there where you get more, you get hammered worse on social media than you Mm do doing sec football i really I mean, believe that i, you know, I, I, agree. I don't see people rip into al and chris or joe and nah. troy or whatever you know they kind of leave those guys alone man sec football you better have your big boy pants on well the, the one that kills me like i i get it um you as i tell everybody you gotta have a really thick skin to be in this business uh you're going to be ripped you're going to be criticized and like i said if you if you make a mistake then you know it, it's going to be amplified but what I always get a kick out of, and this happened to Joe Buck, uh, still happens to Joe Buck when he does 
like Yankees Red Sox, is when there are fans out there that truly believe you are pulling for one team over another and you, you are the homer and you hate this team. You wake up every morning and you try to find ways to criticize this team. Right. And at the end of the day, what I tell people all the time, especially when you get away from team announcing, all you are pulling for, when we get together from the meetings two or, th- two or three days out, when we're on conference calls, when we have production meeting, when we get on the air, all we really want is a good game because right. that makes us look better. It's, it's a hell of a lot easier to call an overtime game in football, a buzzer beater in basketball than it is 63 to five, uh, 63 to six. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the game's over in the second quarter and it's filler material central. Yeah. And, you know, um, it's amazing. You can do an Alabama, let's say Alabama, Georgia. You can do an Alabama, Georgia game, and I will guarantee you that. 50% of the people on, on Twitter or whatever are going to say that Gary Danielson or Brad Nessler are the biggest homers for Alabama that I've ever seen in my mm-hmm. life. And you can go down the other side of the ledger and 50% of the people are going to say, I can't believe how they were kissing Kirby Smart's butt the whole game. <laughs> and da, 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 da. And it's amazing. And I'm going, well, I wonder what game they were listening to or what right. game were they watching, you know? And so you can't ever please anybody almost any of the time. And when you do, it, it feels good that you think, wow, nobody picked on me today. I must have done a good job. And, and what you were talking about, about doing a good game. I mean, uh, you know, the, uh, the final four, the second game, the other night, Saturday night, um, you know, the last call on the half court shot. And I texted Jim and Raft and Grant and Tracy. And I said, what an unbelievable game and what a great job all of you did doing it. And uh, Jim got back to me right away. And he said, Ness, you know what? Uh, and so did Raft. Raft. Raft said it a little more colorfully. <laughs> he said something about, as you well might know there, my humpy friend, you know, it embellishes all of us when the game's good. And then Jim, you know, Jim said it in Jim's terms, like uh, uh, he said in, in a game like that, you just feel fortunate enough that you were there to see it. You know what I mean? I mean, and when you do a game like that, I'm like, I was so jealous, but I was so psyched for those four. And at the same time, I'm thinking I did six games the first weekend and I didn't even, the closest one I had was one point. The next closest I had was nine, I think, you know, so you pray for those March madness moments. And once in a while, you're lucky to get one. I mean, to get one like that in a game that good is just phenomenal. Fantastic. You know, a couple of years ago, LSU Alabama game, was yes. probably as good a football game when, when Joe was a senior and Tua was a senior and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You look back at those games, you go, wow. And, and you almost don't know it. You know it's really good when you're doing it, but then you get done and a year later, you know, you see highlights of it and you go, ooh, man, that was fun. I mean, that yeah. was so much fun. It, it's, I, I, I remember last year, and I'm trying to think – most of your games were fairly competitive this year on CBS, were they not? But I mean, yeah, not too bad. You're not too bad because because you you know Fowler and Herbie. It seems like every and they have the primetime ESPN game. Every one of them was a blowout this year. I don't yeah. think they had a game within 20 points. So they were joking about it the whole season. And as an announcer, I mean, again, that's not what you want, but no. sometimes it just happens, and you have to make the best of it. They're hard to do, you know that. Yeah. I mean, as you said, blowouts are are the worst. I mean, and, and if you think you've got a blowout coming, let's say you go into a game and somebody's a 29 point favorite, those guys, you know, out in Vegas have a pretty good idea why they're 29 point favorites. Now it doesn't always work out that way, 
But that's when you start looking at your partner and you go, let's just get to halftime and let's, let's make it a 10 point game at halftime. You know, right. you've done that with guys you work Absolutely. with. Absolutely. And then you don't say it on the air, but you no, no, each but... other during every conceivable break. And then you get to the, you know, four minute mark in basketball or something. And, and it's a six point game and you thought it was going to be 26 and you go, this is awesome. It's great. And so, you know, I did have a few of those this year, just regular season basketball games where Clark and I, or, or Raft and I, whoever we're working together, just go, please get us to halftime, you know, or get us halfway through the second half. That would be perfect. And when that happens, you're, you're pretty excited and you go, I'll take that any day. No doubt. You, you've mentioned some of the talented people you work with, and I want to revisit that. And, and there is an obsession out there with Gary Danielson from SEC fans, as you alluded to. But I, I want to go back to, as you were saying, like we're, we're losing the long time, you know, Larry Munson, Georgia, Bob Fulton, uh, South Carolina, uh, John Ward at Tennessee, Jim Fife at Auburn. We can go on and on and on. And nowadays, uh, a lot of these radio guys are looking for the transition. If you can get a TV gig, that's, that, that's certainly worth looking into. Or a lot of even, I've, I've seen guys leave major uh, radio play-by-play jobs to do national radio play-by-play. You know, right. there's always this kind of hierarchy. And so I don't think I've ever asked you this in the years that I've known you. What was the springboard to ESPN? Because that's still how a lot of people know you. I mean, I grew up watching Brad Nessler going college football and basketball on ESPN. And I was like, this guy's good. Where, where did that opportunity come from? Um, well, I kind of alluded to earlier after I did the Falcons, I took the Vikings job, although we never moved back to Minnesota. Um, I just went up there on weekends and, you know, did the games, but I also transitioned into doing Jefferson pilot Raycom ACC games. Their, their ACC right. game of the week was usually at noon on Saturday. So I'd go from that game fly to Minneapolis, do about two hours worth of commercials for WCCO, then do the game on Sunday and then come back and, and, you know, hit into my regular job on Monday morning. I guess I must've worked every day of the week at that time, I guess. <laughs> but anyway, I did about uh, probably three seasons of ACC football on Jefferson pilot and uh, Jimmy Rayburn was running the place at the time and ran it mm-hmm. all the way up until it became, you know, has become the ACC network or whatever kind of, kind of joined in to do that so anyway uh jimmy took a flyer on me you know i'd done a few uh georgia high school all-star games around here you know just mm-hmm. to have kind of some tv tape i guess you could call mm-hmm. it and um so once i did that um when i was doing the acc um uh, football and still doing the vikings um cbs called and i was i was doing the vikings in 89 and, uh, you know, NFL films a lot of times took, you know, some of your stuff and, and, you know, it was on inside the NFL with Len Dawson and Nick Monacani right. or whatever. And so, I don't know, uh, Ted Shaker called me from CBS and said, you know, we got this, Vern Lundquist has always been a big fan of yours. And, you know, he says that we should look at you and I've seen you do some of this ACC football stuff on Saturday and I've listened to your NFL stuff on, on Sunday. And he said, uh, you know, what would you think about coming to CBS? And I was like, where do I sign up? But uh, that was actually during basketball season. So I went and did basketball for basically two months and the tournament um, before I actually did football. So I, I signed on with CBS, I guess on a two and a half year deal or something like that. So I did two years of both college and NFL football at CBS before I ever went to ESPN. So the, the ESPN thing, they came to me when I'd already been working at CBS the first time. So when, when I, 
when when I came back to CBS, uh, you know, that was one of their big things. They said, we want you to come back home. I was like, well, I've been gone. I've been lost for 24 years from home. So if you want me to come back home, that sounds like a good idea. But Sean McManus was very, uh, you know, persuasive. And uh, so a lot of people don't know that I was at CBS two and a half years before I ever went to ESPN. I, I had completely forgotten that, to be honest with you. Um, was it hard to come back? I, 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 that's a dumb question. Obviously, it's rewarding to come back. Was it hard to leave what you had at ESPN would be the better question. Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, I'd been there um, so long and had so many great partners. Um, you know, started with Gary. <laughs> I was with Gary for about seven years or somewhere in there. And then I was with Bob Greasy and Lynn Swan for eight. And then I was with Bob Greasy and Paul McGuire for two more. And then I was with Todd for eight years, Todd and Holly, Todd Blackledge, Holly Rowe. Um, and so, you know, I had so many, and that's just the people that people see in front of the screen, but, um, you know, Scott Johnson and Phil Dean and all those guys that I worked with that were directors and producers with me for so long. And our families were very intertwined. I mean, you know, my wife knew their wives and the kids knew the kids and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, when you're there 24 years, that's a lot of people that are, are friends. You think you have some people that aren't the greatest in the world that you work with, but the people you work with are always great. It's people you work for sometimes right. that you'd like to trade some of those in and get some. <laughs> but anyway, that's so true. I traded some of those in on some new bosses is what I did. Right. right. <laughs> and, you know, I remember when I interviewed you on radio, a show here in Atlanta about 10 years ago and I, I said, I said, for a lot of people, you know, you're, you're kind of like the TV voice of the SEC and, and you were quick to point out, well, you know, most of the games I do are not SEC and that's true. Like I, I think of the Michigan state, Notre Dame, that thriller that you had the fake, the fake field goal at the end, your call yeah. was spot on. And yeah, you, you did a ton of big 10 games. You did a ton of games uh, from other leagues. Do you, uh, do you ever get bothered if people kind of typecast you in that role? Like there's Brad, the SEC guy, considering you've done so much more. I think it would have bothered me if I was, if this was 20 years ago, but it doesn't now at all. Um, you know, because the first, a lot of those first probably five years, Gary and I did almost exclusively big 10. And then we branched out and then probably for a time span of, uh, uh, 12 or 13 years, I, I went everywhere and did everything. And then the last eight with Todd, for the most part, we did the night game, you know, SEC, almost always a night game in the SEC. So, you know, I was kind of big 10, then I was all over the country and then I was SEC and then it's all SEC now. So I don't know, Mike, you know, my, my thinking about all of it's changed, you know, you, you, you work so hard to try to get somewhere near the top. And then when you kind of get there, I mean, there was a time when I was doing Thursday night NFL and I was doing basically the main game on ESPN and I was, I was never home. I don't know how I did that, but um, <laughs> my wife didn't either. She was like, seriously. And I'm like, well, so for about three years there, I was kind of burning the candle on both ends and I'm not that age anymore. And um, you know, I'm comfortable in what I'm doing and I'm comfortable in my skin other than I wish it was a little thicker, like you said, because sometimes even when you think you have thick skin, and you look down and you're bleeding because right. beating the hell out of you in the media. But uh, I'm really comfortable what I'm doing. And this is, you know, my last stop. I think if I had other stops I was going to make, I might think about all that. But 
uh, this is this is probably where it ends. Not for a while, but uh, this is probably my last rodeo. You know, this year was uh, an interesting year to say the least, with COVID, with the SEC, and all that. But it, it, in a lot of ways, too, it was it's kind of historic. I mean, you guys had a lot of Alabama games this year. Uh, looking back on it, I, I think history is probably going to not appreciate that team maybe as much as it should. You got to see them up close a lot. You know, how do you kind of judge 2020 Alabama uh, versus maybe some of their other great teams or other great teams you've seen over the years? Cause it, it just seemed to me 10 conference wins, you know, 11 conference wins, two playoff wins dominant all the way. Um, that may get understated a little bit. I think you're right, JC. You know, they, I mean, at the beginning of the year, I think everybody was saying, well, if everybody's not going to play the same amount of games, how are we going to determine if this is a true champion and all that kind of stuff? As far as the SEC, because they held on and held on and said, we're going to do the best we can and we're going to you know, play conference games. I started thinking, okay, if you get through this, you're definitely a champion because you just ran the gambit, man, you know, and, and you played nothing but conference games and whether it was a good, good team in the conference or you know, one of the lower rung teams – doesn't matter. You weren't playing some regional team from somewhere else that you paid a million dollars. So you could beat, beat them up, you know, at home. So the game was, was kind of like that. And I think the coaches knew that, you know, when we, when we started everything and I think it's one of, you know, I think it's one of probably Nick's better jobs. First of all, he lost a ton of talent and you go, yeah, but they got a ton of talent there. They did, they do. But then you just plug in another quarterback and you have, another superstar receiver that wins the Heisman. I mean, that's as good a job as any coaching job I've seen because you had to keep everybody together. He got sick you know, he missed a game. Sark, you know, filled in beautifully. That's why he's at Texas now. I mean, but every week that threat of how many guys am I going to have? Are we going to play? Are we going to play up to our potential? Because there's been so much disjointed things going on during the course of the week. Yeah. This was a really good Alabama team. I mean, as good as, as good as any of them. I think, uh, I, I think if the crowds and everything would have been there, I think just the atmosphere for people that watched, got a chance to watch and play in person, um, they would have understood how good they are. And that sounds weird, but when you're in Tuscaloosa and Leonard Skinner kicks in, you know, five minutes before kick, <laughs> that's, that makes the hair on your arms rise, whether you're an Alabama fan or not, you know, and this year music kicked in and there were sporadic, groups of people around you know wearing masks it wasn't the same it wasn't the same wasn't the same in basketball wasn't the same in football so yeah this team was really really good and somebody asked me the other day you think this is the year they take a dip and my nah probably not i doubt it anyway everybody waits for that dip but i haven't seen it yet yeah it doesn't seem like it's coming anytime soon the way recruiting is going you know it would be kind of um Probably a boring question to ask you the best teams you've seen in the SEC, but particularly with football, because it would, it seems like it would start and end with these Nick Saban teams. But what about the most exciting teams you've had a chance to cover football, basketball, uh, keep it specific to the SEC while we're on the subject, you know, going back over your decades of covering the league, any, any teams, coaches that stand out in your eyes? I just think the LSU team, when Joe won the, uh, won the Heisman, which, was that three years ago now? Whatever, two and a half, three years ago. That team was loaded. I mean, and so many guys went to the league. And and that was that's a regular occurrence with Alabama, you know. 
but that offense was so fun to watch. And I don't know, that's one of the more recent ones. So it sounds like I should be thinking back and going, yeah, but got to think about that 72 team, you know, with Donnie Musa. <laughs> I just, you know, I can remember teams when I was a kid, when I wasn't doing games that I thought, wow, guys are really awesome. But as far as the way the offense is played now and the fact that uh, you better be prepared to score like 35 to 42 a game if you want to win. That's what's changed so much. And so I don't mind great defenses and all that kind of stuff. You know, I grew up with the Vikings playing the Bears. And if it was 10 to 6, you thought that was the greatest game you've ever seen. Hmm. You know, and it was Carl Eller and Dick Butkus and those guys. Hmm. And, and that didn't bother me as long as my team won. I didn't care. Um, but I, I just think just the last last five or six years, the how prolific the offenses have been in the SEC, it's pretty easy to look at some of those teams and go, man, those undefeated teams that put up 50 a game or, you know, defense might not have been as good as they wanted it to be, but man, were they good on offense? So I'd, I'd probably pick some of the recent SEC teams, Alabama and LSU and that type of thing, uh, just because of their offense. It'd be hard to go wrong with those. What about basketball? You, you were there for the Patino Kentucky teams, the Nolan Arkansas teams, Uh, any of those stand out? Yeah. I mean, uh, I I don't know if, you know, Kentucky won championships that I did with three different coaches, I guess, uh, yeah. Rick, Rick Tubby and, and, you know, Cal. And I did so many games. It seemed like I was in Lexington every Tuesday night. I was right. getting a condo there, you know? <laughs> and so, I mean, I saw so many of those teams and they had so many number one draft choices or first choices that uh, now that's kind of gone by the wayside. Those teams would have been some of the most fun to watch, I think. And, and yeah, the, 94 feet of 94 feet of hell that Arkansas had for a time. Um, you know, I've done some of the games that interconference games that at the beginning of the year, the champions classics and that type of thing. And I did a game about four years ago. I think it's one of the most fun games I've ever done. Uh, North Carolina, Kentucky were playing. I think we were in Vegas. I don't know. They keep changing the site of those games. And then it's Ohio state and, um, who am I missing? North Carolina plays the other, that's the other matchup. And they just swap every year. <laughs> did a game and it was 110 to 107, I think. And it wasn't overtime and like Kieran Fox or somebody like that had like 44 mm-hmm. and somebody for yeah. Kentucky had 39. It was just like the best regular season game I think I've ever seen. Um, and then, you know, I just have spots of other games that I've done over the years back in, I think it was 92 Larry Connolly and I are doing a game on fat Tuesday down at LSU and uh, they're playing Kentucky and it's Dale Brown against Rick Pitino. And LSU got up 31. Oh, I watched this game live. Like 11 and a half minutes to go. And I'm like, yeah. this thing is so over. <laughs> and then, you know, Travis Ford and some of those guys started hitting threes. And it just started raining threes. And they yeah. came back and beat him like 98 to 96 or something like that. Was a, like, this is impossible. That's why you never give up on a game. Right. Like this, you know, most amazing comeback I ever saw as a freshman in college watching it in the dorms. Uh, and, and I'm struggling to stay awake and like, why am I even staying up for this? This, right. this game's over. Yeah. And, and before the game, we were out there getting ready to do our on camera and it was fat Tuesday and the crowd was so subdued, you know, at Maravich center. And I was like, man, there's something wrong with the kids. I don't know if they've been drinking all afternoon or what the story is. And they waited until the red light came on. They were very smart and they all had their beads all balled up and they started throwing them at Larry and I while we're doing our on camera. So we're out there going, 
like this, <laughs> trying to explain what we thought was going to happen. So that was a big night for a lot of reasons, you know, the before the game and then the end of the game and uh, did a Kentucky game one time where Jody Meeks scored 54. That was fun. Remember that? Uh, yeah. You know, I remember bits and pieces of games I did, maybe not necessarily the best teams, just bits and pieces of games I did that I thought, wow, I'm never one like that so yeah or bits and pieces of history i guess but one one general question i mean obviously you guys i mean you, you get to do the best game in the sec every week which very often is the best game in the country every week you, you know you're going to have a built-in that once covid is you know the remnants of covid is gone uh you know you're gonna have a great crowd mm-hmm. uh great atmosphere college football as i as i've said no matter how poorly it's been mismanaged for decades and decades the product is so beloved that it it's it's always going to have such a strong following but does it concern you jc and i talk about this a lot on this podcast how it's great that we're seeing some of the best coaching and programs in the history of the sport particularly with saving in alabama but every year it's like clockwork. We're talking about the same five teams competing for the same four spots, competing for the same national championship. And I don't know if that's good for the sport at all. I, it probably isn't. And, you know, I have two ways of looking at this one way, like you said, two of those five teams I might see every week. So from that right. standpoint, I'm pretty selfish. I, I, I think though, for the general fan, especially when you're coming off of or, or March madness thing, it would be really cool if, you know, the Cincinnati's of the world or whoever that team is that's on the cusp, or it's too bad there's not two or three of those because it all, you know, a three hour span, it's not a best of seven deal. I mean, you can beat somebody and that's why the basketball tournament's so cool um, because you can be an Abilene Christian and, and you can beat a Texas or whatever the case might be. Now that might not work in football, but uh, it, it, you get, two really good players in basketball, you could kind of change your program. You know, you get, you get three of them, let them stick around till they're seniors and you can win a national championship football. You need more than that. And unfortunately the rich get richer all the time because that's where they want to go play ball because that's where they want to be to go to the NFL. You, you know, mm-hmm. you want to go to Alabama so you can get drafted in the NFL or Georgia or LSU or, you know, whatever Ohio state. It, it is sad that it's always, I mean, we can pick out Gary and I've done this just about every year for the last three. We go back to some obscure year 25 years ago and we look up the top 25 preseason top 25. And then we pick out 2021 and you can just go like this and you might have five different teams in there, but it's all the same. It's all the same. He pulled one out from like 72 one year and I go, What's Purdue doing in there? You know, it was, that was the joke part. That was the joke part. But and they were actually pretty good in '72. But um, yeah, you can just year in and year out. It would be really cool if uh, you know they expanded things and and you knew that somebody outside the Power Five was going to get in, and then another team that you know maybe is ten and one could get in, just to make it a little more interesting. Now those might be blowout games, but still it would give the fans of those teams something to look forward to. You've been in a lot of venues around the league, obviously. Uh, what is one that may be underrated in terms of game day atmosphere? We hear about, you talked about Alabama, we've Auburn, LSU, you know, Florida, they're obvious, but what's maybe an underrated place to, to catch a game around the league? Well, JC is probably not underrated anymore, but it was back in 
I don't know, when I started at ESPN, probably, uh, Wisconsin, one of my favorite places. Now, <laughs> I grew up in the Midwest. Um, I used to drink beer. Uh, I don't very often anymore. <laughs> but I love brats. So it's the whole atmosphere, you know. And we get to Wisconsin, and, uh, you know, Barry Alvarez and I are really good friends. And so that was always part of it, too. But I never had more fun than going to Wisconsin and spending a Thursday night and a Friday night down on state street, going to state street, uh, drinking some beers. And then Friday I might get together with Barry in his hotel room, you know, the night before the game. And then the atmosphere just downtown and at camp Randall and still, I don't get back there very often, but if I was going to go to a game and I had a weekend off and somebody just said, let's go to our Wisconsin guys, I probably said, let's go to Wisconsin because Matt yeah. really fun. Yeah, I've been to Madison. It's beautiful when you when you drive in over the lake and you yeah. see the campus there. And uh, it's a uh, as a guy from the south. When I visited up there, I, I was I was pretty impressed. And I that, that's one thing on my bucket list I have to do is get to a game at Wisconsin. So. Yeah, I would take it over. I don't want you know Ohio State, Michigan fans, and everybody to get upset. But as far as atmosphere, even in the stadium, you know, Michigan, the big house is kind of laid out so the sound kind of disappears. The shoe is really, really cool. Um, you know, like when I used to do the Big Ten, going to uh, going to do an Iowa game was fun because our trucks were parked right outside the stadium where there was tailgating going on, and I always had the same people offer me the same food every time we were up. Come on over, you got to have some of this chili the wife made. You know, so I don't know. People are friendly up there, and they have a great time tailgating when they're freezing their butts off. So that's kind of something kind of fun about that. I'm sure they offered you a few uh, beers and other alcoholic beverages as well. And I've taken up uh, some of them after the game. After the uh, game, yeah. That's what I always tell people. Because, you know, some of the fans of the SEC are so darn nice. And if they run into the announcers, here, have some of this, Mike. I would love to <laughs> after the game. But uh, this, is, this is like a recipe to get fired if you drink a couple of those before the game. Exactly. Last two times that I've tailgated, uh, once was after a game at Clemson and uh, you know, Todd was my partner and one of my best friends is a Clemson grad and he goes to almost all the home games. So I said, listen, I'm going to come find you after the game. He said, we'll have just as much food and, and stuff after the game. Uh, if you want to have a cigar and whatnot. So we went out in the crowd and it was, it was, you know, Todd was like Elvis, you know, because he's so tall, I could hide, but Todd couldn't hide. And boy, we were getting hit up for pictures and everything. And we thought, Hey, the game's over. We can't get in trouble. And then uh, when Clemson played Georgia Tech a couple of years ago to open the season, uh, I went with my buddy and his wife and my wife, and we actually tailgated. It was hotter than hell, but we tailgated for several hours. And it's the first time I've tailgated since probably since I was a kid, and I just had a blast. It was it was a lot of fun. Uh, that, it's that a lot of work. Awesome. People that put those things together and, and do it. They do it with some panache, man. They got a little bit of everything going on, but it's like Clemson is unbelievable. Yeah. I I hope my, my home audience doesn't get mad at me, but I've been to, I've been to some pretty serious tailgates at Clemson in my life. So I, (laughs) I, uh, uh, a lot of my fan base pulls for the other, other team in South Carolina. So I don't want them to get, now that's a good scene too, you know, with with everything out there. It's it's pretty nice. It's not bad, but uh, Clemson and they're friendly too, Brad, that you hit the nail on the head there. I've never heard of anybody, 
that's not like a rival fan. Like A and M played there a few years back, and my A and M friends were like, "These are the friendliest people ever." And they want to beat the, they want to beat the tar out of you, and it's loud, and they're going to boo you and all. But the tailgating scene there is, uh, uh, I have to say, it is it is very welcoming and inviting. I tell you, I tell you another place where they couldn't be more friendly. That's Nebraska. Oh, Most yeah. people, best fans. I mean, it's unbelievable. I know you know people have probably heard this and they don't maybe believe it, but they will cheer the other team and the other team's performance, even if they beat the Cornhuskers. And in this case, they're probably cheering the other team right now more than they're cheering the home team. <laughs> but I don't think I, I don't think I've ever bought a drink at a bar in, uh, <laughs> in Nebraska. It's just like, uh, Hey, you know, if you're standing around and you're with your crew or whatever, it's like, uh, just whatever that guy's drinking. And I'm like, okay. And yeah. so there I am with all that lineup of diet Cokes, Mike. You know yeah, I mean? Of course. Of course. <laughs> I, I'm already disappointed. You don't drink beer anymore. So, so when I'm going to the, uh, the Brad Nestor Lake house this summer, what, what are we drinking? You can drink whatever you want there. I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a full bar. It's just, I'm kind of a okay. scotch guy now, but there's, Everything right. you want, my friend, will be there. Okay, Wait. I'm a I'm a bourbon guy. They're, they're you know same family, so that's uh, yeah, exactly. that's good. Now you you you've done some good rivalry games. What's what, what is the one you've done the most? I mean, you've you've probably done some Carolina, Clemson, Florida, Florida State. I've done. What's, I thought about this the other day. I think I've done every uh, Power Five conference one there is. I think. Um, I, I you know I mean I could go down the list. I could start on the West Coast and. Uh, Washington, Washington State, Oregon, Oregon State, UCLA, USC, Cal, Stanford, and then work my way this Arizona, Arizona State, work my way this way. Done everything in the uh, the Big 12. I've done everyone in the ACC, everyone obviously in the SEC. Um, uh, every everyone I can think of in the Big 10 that I, that would matter. I right. mean, maybe at the time, maybe Northwestern and Illinois wasn't a big, you know, something like that. I've done every game there is. I think the one that I miss because I'm in the SEC, if I'm going to miss one, is OU Texas. That's I, I, okay. I miss going to the State Fair. That was one of my yeah. favorite games and one of my favorite scenes and uh, one of my favorite two days leading up to the game. All of that. That's the one I miss. But I, right. I, I've done I've done every one. And then of course Army Navy is one of the greatest games yeah. ever, uh, yeah. as far as I'm that's concerned. That's a bucket so, lister right there. Yeah, that's yeah. A, oh, you got to do it. Yeah, I, it's it. Trust me, it it is on the list, and I and I think about it because we're so specialized now, where conferences have their own networks and whatnot. There's not going to be many people like a Brad Nesser that can say they've done virtually every rivalry game in the sport. I mean that that that's going to be hard to match. It might be. Um, you know, I'm going to sit down and go through all of that. You, I've thought about it, but I haven't written it down. But yeah. I, I call you back sometime. I'll okay. go through the list. However many there are, I think I've done them. I think I've yeah. done them all. So, that and some awesome. are way better than others, and some are way more remote than others. And you know, I wasn't crazy going to the Palouse to do Washington, Washington State, because it's <laughs> out in the middle of God knows where, right. and it's hard right. to get to, and you can't get out of there either. But yeah, uh, you know, like Mike Price was the coach then, and his wife would always have us over for lunch. That was the that was the highlight. But uh, Ryan Leaf too, and I did that game one time and went to practice. The ball never touched the ground. It was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a bunch of those Smurf receivers, like four yeah. of those guys. And I had never seen him better passing, whether it was seven on seven, 11 on 11, just doing it against air. And I'm like, coach, this guy. And I- I've never seen a guy that I thought he's a surefire Hall of Famer in the NFL. Mm-hmm. 
because I never saw the ball touch the ground. It was like every pass was like, boom, boom, boom. Right. and then, you know, he, he didn't quite pan out, but yeah, I, mean, I guess he's he, doing what we do now. I'm not sure. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, he'd be the first one to tell you if he, if he had a checkup from the neck up, uh, he could have been that Hall of Fame quarterback. I mean, yeah. Seriously. He, I remember him in college. Uh, he was there. There's a reason why the Colts seriously thought about taking him over Peyton Manning. He was yes. that good. Funny, that other guy, what, how did he ever turn yeah, out? He turned oh, out yeah. okay. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Did. Peyton, Peyton did. All right. Uh, wrapping things up with Brad Nessler. I, I mentioned I'd circle back to this. Uh, just quick kind of word association. I'm thinking of some of the partners you've worked with over the years. Just anything that comes to your, to your, to your mind. Well, let's go all the way back to Paul McGuire. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> one of the funniest, I, I, I'm supposed to do one word. It doesn't have to be one funny, word. It'll give me a couple one, sentences. Whatever one of the think. funniest guys I've ever been around. We still talk. He and his wife, Beverly are great friends. Uh, and he never drank a Budweiser that he didn't look at the label to see what the date was. If it was more than two months old, he wouldn't drink it. I don't know why I've got beer in my refrigerator. that's probably three years old and, and right. I probably serve it to people I didn't like or something. I don't know, but, uh, he used to do a show in Buffalo and it was sponsored by Budweiser. And to this day, they come over with a truck and they take cases and they put it in his garage and, and uh, like on an every three week basis or something. And he, he lives in, he lives in Charleston. So has nothing to do with Buffalo anymore. He just made so many great friends with Budweiser. He's, he's never had to buy a bottle in his life, but all of them have to be, and he is a funny, funny man. Yeah. And uh, probably a better football IQ than everybody gave him credit for because he sort of had a, a shtick, right. you know, kind of the Paul McGuire shtick. Awesome dude. That's a long answer. Sorry. Uh, no, that's good. That's good. I, I, I mean, that's again, he gets lost in the shuffle and I was young when I, when I was watching games with uh, th- that he was doing, uh, but I thought he was hilarious. I, yeah. I thought he was one of the original characters. I never would have guessed he was overly concerned about the date on a beer. I mean, yeah. you, I would have just figured if it was 20 years old, he would have just shotgun it right there. And no, the, the guy's 80 down. and he still complains about <laughs> the dates on Budweiser. Uh, Dick Vitale. Uh, most passionate guy I've ever worked with. Um, he gets caught by people not realizing how hard he works at what he does and how well prepared he is because he's the, Oh, Mr. Nestler, I tell it, he's a PTP. He's a high rising. You know, you can say all that stuff. But when you really think about the stuff he says, it's, it's quality, it's quality. And, and 80 year old guy, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. but I worked with him from the time he was 50 ish or somewhere around there. And I, I was kind of nervous. So the first game we did, we went to Allen Fieldhouse and we're doing Kansas and somebody first time I'd even ever met him. And he said, uh, oh, I can't believe I've worked with Jim Simpson. I've worked with Tim Brando. I've worked with it. And he goes, and now I got Mr. Nestle. And I say, well, it took you all this time to get a quality guy to work with, I guess. So <laughs> that set our tone right there pretty much for the rest of our time together of 24 years. Uh, ben, to, I was to both his daughter's weddings. He's a great friend. Yeah, uh, He and Lorraine are awesome and awesome with a capital A. <laughs> uh, yeah, you guys complimented each other so well. That, that was one of those surreal moments for me working a tournament with him four or five years ago. And it took me a, like I had to like amp myself down. Oh, yeah. As a kid, we grew up. I grew up watching Dick Vitale sure. multiple days a week. He was a rock star. And I always tell people, you know, people are critical of everybody, especially the longer a guy does it. You won't find a better human being in our business. No, no. Than Dick. And that's genuine. 
Absolutely. We, what shtick is shtick. Yeah. How good a person he is is a hundred percent genuine. And then uh, the, uh, you know his cancer uh, right as his gala has raised millions, multi-million dollars, and and that's for the Jimmy V Foundation, and that's super too. Uh, you, real quick, you mentioned uh, two of these guys already, but but uh, for me, uh, it's hard to be this high up and still underrated. I think Todd Blackledge is outstanding, but uh, Todd Blackledge, he's uh, he's one of the two best that I've worked with, and I'm working with the other one. So mm-hmm. the last two guys, um, they're they're similar. Todd's um, Todd's a little more straight. Gary's a little more outside the box type of guy, you know. And um, but Todd is a He's a really cool guy off the air. And uh, we spent many a Thursday and Friday nights sitting outside uh, by the pool of whatever hotel, or if there wasn't a pool sitting outside, uh, commiserating about everything other than football. And we still, he just texted me the other day and he sent a uh, play by play of the Sugar Bowl when he threw the touchdown pass that, that beat. Uh, uh, was it Georgia or Notre Dame? I don't know, whatever. And it was Keith Jackson's call. And he said, Hey man, you should make this my ring when I call you. <laughs> and it was Keith going, Oh, he's going for the bundle. And oh, he's got a touchdown. You know? And uh, he always tells me the story back when they did that bowl game and when they were playing for the national championship, uh, they did it the old fashioned way where they would come out and they'd have either the captains or the players say their name, you know, come out and get you know, it. But that year they just had the captains do it. They had the captains, um, introduce each one of their guys like on the offense and the defense. And so Todd does the whole offense and he goes, and I'm Todd Blackledge. And so this is my offense and this is the team that's going to kick, uh, you know, Notre Dame or Georgia's butts or whatever. And he goes, Keith goes, he hopes so. That was, <laughs> that was Keith Jackson's comeback line. He hopes so. So now Todd is, Todd is really, really good, and I love listening to him, and I loved working with him for eight years. He was spectacular. And then, of course, the the guy that uh, kind of ties it all together, the uh, the, the second second uh, coming, the, the you being reunited with Gary Danielson, uh, who might be your your last partner, um, yeah. depending on how things turn out, and uh, maybe something that people don't know about Gary. We mentioned earlier a lot of people. He's, he can be polarizing, uh, and he doesn't shy away from that, which I like. Uh, but, but maybe something people don't know about working with Gary. Oh man. Um, he knows the game so well and he constantly is updating kind of like his knowledge of the game. You know, everybody can talk to coaches, everybody can watch film, watch tape. Um, but you know, he goes around and he picks guys brains in the off season to try to keep up to date on, you know, when the thing started, like he knew it was going to happen before it happened, you know, because he had talked to so many guys in the off trying to get it. It's kind of like play action. He goes, well, it's a lot like play action, you know, but there's, so, I mean, he works really, really hard. He watches so much game film. I'm glad he doesn't ask me to do it with him because I just go, dude, I, I, I'm bombarded the way it is. You know, I'm, I'm just trying to keep the promos and the commercials right. going on who's got the ball and who doesn't have the ball and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yet, you know, he was good when he started, um, and, and he had just, he was maybe two years into it when, when we started working together back in 92 or whatever. And, um, you know, we got along immediately because our personalities, uh, as far as thinking were funny, I always tell him, you think you're funny. And, and I, and then when he does something funny, I, you know, I go, I know funny, you're funny. Uh, but, um, has to work with, he's a great friend. 
we always say we got divorced and then we got remarried because he he claims cheer that if you add our two stints together, we'll be the longest running college play-by-play analyst team there's ever been. Mm-hmm. Now he looks up stuff like that. I have no idea. You would think back in the day that Keith and somebody, but Keith spent a lot of years with different guys, you know, right. Frank Royals, Bob Greasy, uh, Eric Parsegian, you know, whatever. And same thing with some of those other guys. So uh, I think Gary's, I think Gary and Todd are the two best there is. And uh, I can't say anything better than, than having spent the last, well, you know, it's going to be 13 or 14 years between those two guys, just the last 13 or 14 years of my life. And uh, I have as much fun off the air with them as I do on. Well, it, it comes through on the broadcast. Um, I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time on this. I, I'll circle back on one other thing. You know, every now and then you get asked, what is the ultimate compliment? I get asked that. Uh, I'm sure you have as well. What's the ultimate compliment for a play-by-play guy? And the compliment I say is what I think of when I think of you and your style. And that is, he's an easy listen. And that's what I think of when I listen to a game of Brad Nessler. It, you're not the loudest. Uh, you're not jumping up and down. You don't have shtick, what I, per se. Uh, but man, if you want to sit back, relax and enjoy a game, be informed and, and actually have it a feel like you're there. I, I've always thought you're one of the best ever to do that. That's very nice, Mike. Thank you very much for saying that. And, uh, love listening to you too. And I, I, you know, I try to stay out of the way. I just, the game is the game's the game, you know, and the guys I grew up with and admired the Pat Summerall's and Ray Scott, even before Pat Summerall, those kind of guys, it didn't have to say that much. It's kind of like the way they said it. So mm-hmm. you know, that's sort of my approach. Make my analysts look good. That's, yeah. that's the whole idea. Absolutely. Especially now. Make the analysts look good and you're, you're golden. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's really what it's morphed into. Uh, network TV is, has never been more about that uh, than it is today. And hopefully Network TV will have full stadiums come fall the next time we see you. And uh, hopefully the next time I see you, uh, it'll be the first time where we're both not wearing suits. And, there you uh, go. And you, you pick the scotch and we'll, we'll go ahead and have some fun. It sounds good. Just, uh, you know, for your folks, this is, this is kind of the off season. Look, I do this every year. So I look a little scruffy, but I am going to go get a haircut as soon as we're done here. So yeah, at you, least the top end will be okay. I don't know about the goatee. I, let it go. Well, you know, I, I think all those fashion rules are, are out the window now. Pretty soon the <laughs> announcers are all going to be wearing like mock tees and stuff. <laughs> I tried this one. I did this one game. Cal, Tennessee, Greasy and McGuire and I, I think it was the first game of the season. I think Marshawn Lynch played for Cal. I don't know it, uh, what else went on in that game. But I tried it for one game, and then I came home and looked at the tape. And I looked at my wife and said, nah, I don't think so. No. <laughs> it, it didn't feel anyway, JC, I'll see you for a, I'll see you for a tailgate some somewhere along the line. Exactly. And Mike, uh, the, the bourbon's waiting for you at my house. I like it. Wood, Woodford Double Oaked, if you got it. If not, I'll bring it. I think I already got it. All right, ah, I figured you would. Brad, thank you so much. You got it, buddy. Good you seeing you. It. Take care. Stay safe. Founders is offering a low-rate mortgage with up to 4000 in closing costs to full-time hospital employees. Honoring your frontline efforts against COVID-19. With no PMI, no origination fee, and no limit on the loan amount, you can't go wrong. Visit founders.com slash HEC and apply for your hospital employee choice mortgage today. 
Membership qualification required. Terms and conditions apply. Institution NMLS identifier number 410646. Founders is an equal housing lender and is federally insured by the NCUA. If you are saving for a down payment to buy a home, you may be able to drop your savings goal from 20% to less than 5%. Ameris Bank offers a wide variety of loan solutions with low and no down payment options. With a quick consultation, the man, the myth, Stuart Wingo, loan officer at Ameris Bank, can help you determine which option best fits your financial needs and gets you into your dream home. If you're looking for a variety of products, competitive rates, and exceptional service, call Stuart Wingo at 803-319-1777. You can also check them out online, amerisbank.com slash Stuart Wingo. Save thousands of dollars today by simply calling Stuart Wingo at 803-319-1777. You'll be glad that you did. Uh, special thanks again to uh, Brad Nessler for joining us. Uh, you know, I, I think I, I, some of that was inside baseball. I know um, I've, I've, I've always assumed JC that people aren't nearly as fascinated in what we do than, than what we do. Yeah. Like, you know, it, <laughs> I, I just figured the only people that really care that much about what we do are other people that are in the business uh, and the people that are in our business are, you know, we, we obsess over it because it's more than just a job for, for most of us. Uh, but I think a lot of people do enjoy those kind of stories. And particularly when you talk about a guy who's, who's been at the pinnacle of this for a long, long time. Um, I, I know that everybody uh, can be critical of everybody, but I, I mean, I'm, I'm here to tell you, Brad Nessler, there's not a whole lot of critics of Brad Nessler because he's just that good. Uh, you know, Ron Franklin, a lot of people, particularly in the SEC were big Ron Franklin guys. He had his own uh, following. And, and I think Brad kind of took the torch uh, from, from him. And again, he's not just an SEC guy or a Southern guy. He's done just about everything over the country, but uh, I thought that he was outstanding. I can't thank him enough for joining us uh, as long as he did. Yeah, that was huge. If you're a college football fan in general, I mean, just listening to that interview, uh, that fired me up. I mean, it, it, and when Vern Lundquist decided he was going to hang it up, you know, and, and look, I, there's some Vern haters out there, but, uh, you know, he's beloved by most in the SEC. I, I thought really there was one person that, that could, you know, pick the torch up and keep going. And uh, it was it was announced, you know, Brad was there uh, and was kind of the second team for a little while on CBS and, and to pick up the torch on the CBS game of the week. I mean, there, there really is, is nobody was nobody else. I think, I think would have made people happy. And it's just kind of interesting too, because I think a lot of fans really embrace the, the, the Brad Nessler, Todd Blackledge duo when they were doing the primetime game on ESPN and they kind of hate on, the uh, Vern Lundquist, Gary Danielson duo. And now that it's Nestler and Danielson, people don't know what to think. It's uh, hmm. it's interesting. And, and uh, in my opinion, I, I think Blackledge and Danielson are two of the best color analysts out there. They do their homework, mm-hmm. their former quarterbacks. Uh, I think Gary Danielson goes above and beyond, like he said, watching film. I, I think he gets a bad rep because when you – when you have the game of the week like that, Mike, you're going to have the same few teams a lot right. of the time. You can't avoid that because you're going to have who's good. And so it almost sounds like, you know, Nick Saban and Kirby smarter as buddies. Cause he, you know, right. but, but what that is, is he's done his homework, you know, and yeah. he's talked to them and that, that's what you should do. So 
Uh, and that was just a treat for me. The fact you mentioned Wisconsin is is great. I have to get to a game there. I went to Madison a few weeks back, and I was stunned. I, I was just – you go into town, you get off the interstate, you go around a curb, and then there's this big, massive, beautiful lake and a big city, uh, kids everywhere. Camp Randall is – it's actually on an old Army camp base, Camp Randall. You know, that's right. why it's Camp Randall. Um, I didn't know that. And uh, we have some friends that are Wisconsin fans, and I, I can't wait to go to a game in Madison. The fact that he's done the Apple Cup in Washington and Arizona, Arizona State, along with Georgia, Georgia Tech, and all those is outstanding. And, you know, the fact he started in Atlanta, uh, where as a child I grew up listening to Atlanta radio because I was a Falcons, Braves, and Hawks fan growing up in Spartanburg, South Carolina. They didn't have teams in Charlotte at the time. Um, you know, the fact that I used to pick up WSB 750 uh, on the radio, uh, on my AM radio when I was a kid, you know, and just the fact that the start, the beginnings were there. It was just a fantastic interview, I think, just for me personally to listen to. And really, if you're a college football fan, you can't go wrong. I totally agree. And, and, and Brad kind of, you know, dropped some hints. He's not going to be doing this forever. Um, as, as we all know, CBS's uh, reign of the SEC game of the week is going to change here uh, relatively soon. And uh, just kind of reading the tea leaves that that might be when Brad says, okay, I've, I've done enough. Uh, I've had more than a great career and, and that'll be it. So I wanted to do this sooner rather than later. We've already had some great guests, um, announcers, reporters, analysts uh, on this podcast and uh, to, to get Brad on. And I'll just say this too. And I, the, the, the style is changing somewhat. Mm-hmm. And, and like I said before, um, I think it's important as, as an announcer to kind of stay in your lane. Don't try to be, don't, I see guys trying to be so cute and, and sticky uh, to stand out. I see some guys that just yell and scream at every opportunity. That's great when you're doing like Homer radio, when you're doing network television. Um, I think, I, I, I think it's just overbearing um, it's kind of like when people say, Oh, I don't tune in to see the officials, Well, you really don't tune in for the announcers either, but the announcers can make the experience either much more enjoyable, or they could really take away from the experience. So I, I think for a lot of people, when you see our guys screaming at everything and almost like a used car salesman approach to every call, I think that can take away. And the other thing I would just say is there was a time, if you were going to be on national television, there's a certain level of voice that you have to have. Um, I'm amazed, quite frankly, at a couple of guys that I, I hear, and um, the, the sound is something I never would have thought would ever make uh, network television. Uh, you know, again, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. Brad Nessler, I want to talk about pipes. I mean, he just has the most uh when when god gave him that voice he said you're gonna you're gonna be an announcer so yeah that's that that's it and he has a subtleness to what he does too it's i remember uh south carolina florida 2010 at the swamp marcus Lattimore uh breaks off a big run in the second half gamecocks won that game uh and i remember listening to the call i was actually at the game but i went back and watched it and i remember hearing Lattimore and he's loose and and that it's a subtle little call and he's loose yeah and then you hear the crowd and you you, you hear the the visiting crowd actually and you just heard the play develop and he's all the way down to and, and and there is a subtleness I think that gets lost sometimes 
uh, with certain announcers that, that like kind of the, they they feel like they need to fill the air mm-hmm. all the yep. time or, or get excited about every single thing and uh, and then you know Nestler gets excited but it, it's at the right t- at the, the timing right times and, and then there's those subtle things that I think he does that are outstanding but I, you know look I, that's you guys that's what you guys do. I'm not one to critique all that. You know, well, that's just kind of my opinion. But that's your opinion is worth is just as much as the next guy, announcer or non-announcer, because at the end of the day, uh, you know, those of us that call games, we're not doing it for a room full of announcers. We're doing it for <laughs> a, a room full of fans. Yeah. And so uh, your your take and other people's take on that uh, is is very valuable. And, and I think most people feel that way. Uh, it might not get you like doing voiceover work for a national wing joint, but it, 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 it's a, it's a good, good listen. And when you've got good product on the field, I, I don't need, I don't need the over the top stuff. And how am I supposed to know what the big moments are? If you're yelling and screaming at every moment from the opening tip or opening kick, <laughs> then it kind of, it's like the boy who cried wolf at that point. So I, I've always thought Brad just has that, He's got it dialed up at at the right amount at, uh, just about throughout the uh, throughout the broadcast. Um, we got a, a few minutes left. I do want to touch on on a few things. I do want to also mention Stuart Wingo, the guy. Talk about a guy who's always got it at the right level. He's always got the interest rate at the light right level, which is the lowest level that you're going to find. Uh, so many of our listeners on this podcast and other venues that I go on and talk about Stuart have already saved money to the point that they are so thankful. You never forget somebody that saves you thousands of dollars on a new mortgage or a refi. And you never forget that person who, again, when I give you this number, that's his cell number. It's not like a, a time life operator number. I mean, you're dealing with him and he is so good at explaining why this is the right fit. He goes that extra mile. And yes, he is that good. It is the one thing he has mastered in life. That's, uh, that's sometimes the key to life, JC. Find that one thing you're really good at it and just master. And that's what he has done in that particular line of work. For uh, your opportunity on a new mortgage or refi, Jumbo loan, construction loan, he takes care of them all. Stuart Wingo of Ameris Bank, 803-319-1777, no matter what part of the country you're listening to us on, 803 803- Three one nine one seven seven seven. Tell them Mike and JC sent you. You'll be awfully glad that you did. The final four came and went. We don't go knee deep on basketball. I, I can only say, um, in relation to say the sport of um, football, you've got a small Catholic school in Spokane, Washington. You've got a Baptist school in Waco, Texas. I haven't been to Spokane, but I have called football, basketball, and baseball games in Waco. And uh, what they have done with that program after some tumultuous situations uh, is nothing short of miraculous. I remember when Scott Drew got hired there was not a whole buzz around that, and most people thought that was a dead-end job, and he'd be sending out his resume four years later trying to find something better. It took a while. It didn't happen overnight, but they've been a consistent winner. This is not like a one-year fluke. They've been good for about a decade, and now they're a national champions, which no one ever thought was even feasible. But that's the point, isn't it? Again, College football is top of the mountain for me, for you, and so many of the people listening. But I got to say, this is where college basketball has football beat because you can't predict 
the same four or five teams every year that are going to play for the national champion. And there will never be these kind of stories in college football. I realized Baylor had a good run not long ago, um, but they weren't going to win a national title even at their, at their peak. Uh, and, and that's, that's the difference. So I, I, I think people do what makes people that ordinarily are not even basketball fans embrace March madness. It is that it is truly uh, somewhat cliche and that all it takes is a dollar and a dream. If you get into that tournament and you got a decent team, first off, even if you get to the sweet 16, that's a banner. You get to the final four, that's a mm-hmm. banner. You win the natty. That is a memory for life uh, and an even bigger banner. And so there's more than just one winner and you've got the opportunity to do that. The era of one and done has helped level the playing field. We, could you imagine in football, could you imagine if we had that rule where Nick Saban would be getting the number one recruiting class every year, but half of that class would be gone after their freshman year? You couldn't build the same empire under those rules. And I, look, I'm glad college football did not cave. They fought it in the, in the highest courts and they won. Remember the Maurice Claret, Mike Williams lawsuit? That in a lot of ways helped college football big time. Uh, but I, I, I just I can't help but compare sports, and I can't help but think that that is a part uh, of college basketball that people appreciate in contrast to college football. There's, there's just more variety. Absolutely. I mean, but that's why March Madness is a billion dollar enterprise in, in there has been a level of a playing of the, of the playing field. And, and also, you know, the last few years, look at who's actually winning the national championships. It's, you know, we, we had a situation a few years back where you had a great team talent wise in Kentucky that went undefeated, you know, the whole year. And then they run into a bunch of guys that are just kind of, you know, juniors and seniors at Wisconsin, uh, Wisconsin's always kind of been a nice program, you know, and they get in the final four and they beat them. Uh, you know, you, you kind of look at North Carolina winning it in 2017, Mike, that, that North Carolina team was not loaded with McDonald's all Americans. Baylor has had McDonald's all Americans through their history with Scott drew, but this team doesn't, didn't have a single McDonald's all American on the roster. It's just a couple of kids from Texas, some from Louisiana, some transfers, some international guys, and they blend it all together. Villanova is another example of this to where, you know, it's not necessarily about getting all these one and dones and doing it. That's not the, 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 that's a recipe to win a lot of games. It's not the recipe to win a national championship. And so what does that mean? That means people have hope in football right now. It's so difficult for, for teams to have hope because, Look, man, you know, you, you, you got to get through Alabama if you're an SEC team. And if, if you can't get through Alabama, you got to get through an LSU when, when they have their best team in years or whatever. The ACC got to get through Clemson, et cetera, et cetera. And those teams are just hard to get through. I, I think, you know, I, I think something needs to happen with the format. And I, I can't wrap my head around what it is. And this is a conversation we're going to have probably all summer. But, uh, you know, whether it's – automatic bids for conference championship game winners to where those teams that win divisions aren't just cannon fodder for whoever, you, you know what I'm saying? Just like, like, like this past year, you know, Oklahoma, or, uh, I don't, I don't remember who Oklahoma played in the big 12 title game, especially the past year, whether who was it that Oklahoma played? But anyway, um, 
you know, some teams are just, you know, Northwest Iowa State, wasn't it? Iowa State, that's right. You know, N- Iowa State had no shot at a national title, you know, and, and they're running up in there. And uh, I have a better example, Northwestern playing Ohio right. State. You know, uh, Northwestern, yeah, so we're going to go play for the conference title. But even if you beat Ohio State, Ohio State's still probably going to the playoff and you're not. Uh, and I think whether that's automatic bids for conference title game winners, so the division, so that means, you know, teams like Pitt and Northwestern and Iowa State uh, and, and, and Colorado and Utah, you know, they're all in de facto playoff games that first weekend, you know, because it means something, you know, uh, other than a big upset and a, and a nice bowl uh, or whether we need to play the bowls and then have a 14 playoff or, or I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do it. It's probably some sort of expansion with auto bids, uh, well, but that's but happening. I, th- there has to be a situation where, you know, we, the, more teams go into December having a shot and, and that's, and that's going to help everybody. Now it may not help, you know, the Rose bowl come back to this place of prominence. It may not help the opt outs, uh, but, but it's going to help have a more diverse field in my opinion. Uh, and look, it's never going to be March madness, but you know, the super bowl is a different product than the world series. So, you know, it's a different sport. So uh, just on the college level. So, so that's okay. Uh, But I think, I think, you know, to improve it and to get more people excited and to have more people feeling like they have a chance, uh, they need to do that. It's going to come to a point, Mike, you know, look, Kirby Smart at Georgia. Kirby Smart's won a ton of games. Uh, He's raised the level of that program. Uh, close closer to its ceiling. Not hadn't quite broken through, but he's closer to the ceiling. He didn't go to the playoff for a few more years. They're gonna start wanting somebody else. There's already a little bit of that here. Yeah, I can tell you, boots crazy. on the ground. Crazy. As crazy as it is, and you know? Georgia fans kind of forgot where they came from, and some are still living in 1980. But you know what? What what hurts people like Kirby? Uh, what hurts all these SEC coaches and some coaches across the country, it's, it's the Saban-Dabo effect from two different angles. The Saban effect, everybody expected Saban would be really, really good. He was already good before he got the Alabama job. But people could say, well, heck, I mean, Alabama, you know, you take away the national title, Gene Stallings, 1992, from 1993 on before he took the job in what, 07? Uh, for mm-hmm. Saban, uh, seven. So how many? How many years? Let me do a quick uh, math. This is his fourteenth year in Alabama, right? But but then go back to the last few. Go back before Saban. So in other words, oh seven to let's say ninety three. Okay, so what is that? Fourteen years. Fourteen, fifteen years. Fourteen yeah. on both sides. You know, those fourteen years, Alabama was nothing to write home about. Right, you know, they were in what we call the wilderness. Yeah, yeah, not the abyss, not the abyss, but the wilderness. Still winning, but but the wilderness, the wilderness. Yeah, I, I like that. Um, and so Georgia says, "Well, heck, you know, we could have been Alabama if we if we found our Nick Saban. We were we've already been good. We were good under. We weren't in the abyss. We were in the wilderness too with Mark Richt. A uh, little bit of the abyss with Ray Golf. That's a whole other story. Yeah, but." So that so so Georgia fans look at it like we should be Alabama if we just got that guy, and then all these other schools say, well, Clemson was relatively irrelevant 
for decades and they landed on Dabo Sweeney and now they're a national power. So if they can do it, anybody can do it. Uh, so I think, I think those two coaches just raised the bar for everybody and put in a, uh, an incredible amount of pressure on all these other coaches. Look, I, 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 whenever this comes up, I say this, it's not just wishful thinking. I am utterly convinced. Uh, and I know there's some people out there that still, you know, hang tight to their 14 playoff and will convince you that it's a bad thing to expand. And I think the arguments are generally weak, but we're, we're, we're heading to eight. I don't think it's going to happen until this contract is up because everything in college football moves at a glacial pace <laughs> and, and college football contracts, TV contracts are not generally changed in the middle of them. But I think when this deal is up and we've what, we've got seven down and five to go in this 12 year deal, I would be shocked if four doesn't expand to eight. And now if, and when that happens, don't think that Alabama and Clemson and Ohio state and Oklahoma are still aren't going to be good every year. Yeah. That's not changing. I don't think unless the coaches leave, but what can change is that we've got more people in the pool, right? They might not be swimming in the deep end, but they're in the pool. And right now they're not even near the, they're, they're outside the fence where it says members only, and they're not getting inside the pool grounds. So I, I think that can only help the sport and be good for the sport uh, it can only help recruiting those other schools that continually find themselves behind the same five or six schools that we're talking about. Uh, I, I, I think that's what we have to look forward to. And then, you know, it's a d- d- debate. You and I have had this. Do they go with the uh, – there, there's no question in my mind it's going to be the five conference champions. Then yes. you, the, only, the only debate of controversy will be do they give a group five – the one group five team, a seat at the table as, as they're part of the eight, or do they say, no, you join your own playoff and make money doing that. Uh, it's one of those two things I think will happen. Yeah. I'm with you there. That that's, and you know, we're obviously going to talk about that and, and get that going. I, I feel like, and we've all talked about this, but we've both talked about this. I feel like, it's probably a good idea for them to have their own playoff because I, I think that you're going to get to the point where you're going to need to keep the bowls alive somehow. And 50% of those bowls are, uh, you know, G five versus G five. So why not, you know, make it a little more interesting up the stakes, yeah. uh, if you will. And I don't want to get to a point where there's a, a second place team in the sec West that's played an undefeated sec West champion and an undefeated sec East champion and lost those two games, but won the other 10, I don't want to sit there and have to, to look at them and say, well, you can't get in because Boise, you know, state. Boise state went undefeated. The best team they played was Oregon state, right. you know, with six yeah. and six pack 12 team uh, and, and, and stuff like that. But and that's, that's the problem. That's um, the problem. I think, I think, you know, we, we, in football, high school football all across the country, you don't have like a, an Indiana high school style basketball tournament where, you know, everybody plays, you know, you, you have divisions and levels based on enrollment and resources. And that's just how football is when you, when you, when you go for the playoffs. So, so there we go. That, that's my point there. Uh, you know, I'm, it's we're we're talking now. Here it is, going on the second week of April. I'm doing the Mississippi State spring game in a couple weeks, which will be uh, which will be interesting on on multiple fronts. And you and I will talk a lot of spring football 
in the next month. But the week after that, I've got uh, FCS playoffs. Yeah, and I, go think, go it, it's going to be so cool doing it in the spring. Like, I love this. I think, I think they're going to be very well received and watched. Mm-hmm. And I wish this could be a regular thing. I understand the, the number one thing against it. Number one might be a lot of people just were creatures of habit. We like football in the fall and those FCS schools are just like us. They like having their football in the fall, uh, but this would provide a much bigger stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, so many of these games would be nationally televised. The playoff would be, you're not competing against anything. You own the day, the, the quarterfinals, the semifinals, the title game. Uh, but for the Northern schools, it's so cold in January to practice and February to start. I, that's where, that's where that story kind of ends, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can't wait. Uh, it's, it's, I, I love it. I, you and I, we we're SEC guys, right? But, but we're not elitists. We just love college football, period. Yeah. I'll, I'll watch a division two championship game if it's on. I mean, yeah, I've watched a lot of college football this spring, uh, FCS level and, uh, and love it. But, you know, you're right, though, because in, in the upper Midwest and, and in the in the I guess the I don't even know what part of the country you'd really call the Dakotas and Idaho and places like that. The big sky country. That's it, it's ridiculous in the winter. And, yeah. you, you know, you, your national powerhouse right now, that levels North Dakota State. So you mm-hmm. and I think they play indoors. One of them plays indoors, but uh, you're but not going to tell them practice facility. Like yeah, other schools, it, the know, resources aren't yeah. going to be there. So you can't just play the games. You got to you got to you got to practice five days a week. And, and most of these schools don't have that level of facility and that's uh, probably where it stops um we're gonna have to stop here soon but is there anything else you're keeping your eye on i know i mentioned spring football i know you're obviously knee deep in that uh on the south carolina uh, viewpoint uh, anything no. else that strikes your fancy i just uh, i want to say this I, I watched uh and we talked about clemson a lot here uh i watched clemson's spring game last weekend uh, unfortunately, their backup quarterback got hurt. So depth at quarterback is going to be an issue. But DJ Ugalele certainly um, kind of reminds me of a Jamarcus Russell, Dante Culpepper type of big mm-hmm. quarterback with a cannon. Um, and uh, they've got some good young receivers on their offense. Uh, I, you know, they're, they're going to miss Travis Etienne and some of those other receivers. But uh, don't don't feel sorry for them talent wise. Uh, and then, then I think their defense, and I think we'll see this from the first game, and we're going to talk about this game all summer, but uh, against Georgia, I think their defense has a chance to be elite. I, I think uh, just watching it, evaluating the personnel or whatever, um, I'm pretty uh, uh, pretty much was impressed by, by that group at Clemson on Saturday. It's going to be Clemson ATL after Trevor Lawrence. What ATL. is it going to look like? You know, they had they had him. They had maybe the biggest weapon in college football for three years. Now he's gone. But uh, again, not chop liver. That's getting ready to take over that spot. So we'll be talking a lot of spring football and uh, other good stuff that uh, always pops up this time of year in the offseason uh, right here on our podcast, JC and Morgan. Our special thanks again to Brad Nessler. Thank you all for uh, downloading, tuning in. Uh, again, great numbers across the board. We know there's a lot of options out there. We appreciate you guys uh, hanging tight with us uh, throughout all the clutter and everything else. And we'll try to keep uh, providing some entertainment for you. Absolutely, Mike. Enjoyed it this time. You got it. So for JC, a 24-7, Big Spur.
many other things we can't even talk about. The, the J.C. Well, and Morgan podcast, man. Yeah. Well, yes. I was thinking of like, you know, Hollywood projects you've got going on, <laughs> and stunt double and all your other work out there. Uh, I am merely Mike Morgan and I look forward to talking to you guys soon. Have a great one. Thanks again for tuning in.